from the dark web to your radio dial. You are listening to CyberTalk Radio on News 1200 WOAI. Welcome to CyberTalk Radio. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, a 20-year internet security veteran. I'm joined this week by Deputy Fitzenmeyer from Youth Code Jam, and we're going to talk about starting kids young into this computer security world and starting with software development. Thank you for joining us this week, Debbie. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So uh, tell me a little bit about this youth code jam and then tell our our audience about how did you you get started into this whole thing and uh why is this exciting for their kids absolutely so we started youth code jam i started youth code jam about uh, six years ago we're going into our sixth year now we are a local nonprofit focused on san antonio and the surrounding area um, we teach kids how to code we build confidence for them in their skills build their confidence in their own skills and we help them imagine themselves in the jobs of the future. That's really important. And so we create all kinds of charging stations, if you will, events and opportunities for kids to come and learn, be introduced to code, and get excited about it. Um, our flagship event, which is what we started with six years ago, is San, now San Antonio's largest youth coding event. We have uh, Last year we had 600 families um, come to the event and participate at a variety of stations, learning all different kinds of things, whether it was drag and drop visual programming or robotics or Arduino or Python or C and even cybersecurity. Um, each of those is a station. So come, they come, they play, they have fun, and then they go home inspired to continue to learn. Um, that is, that's really our flagship event. And I started it because my son wanted to learn how to code. And that was seven years ago. There were no real opportunities back then in town for me to direct him to. Um, so I decided, well, if it doesn't exist, I'll just start it. <laughs> so, Ironically, he is no longer studying computer science. He does know how to code, but he's uh, studying electrical engineering and um, physics. So I got excited about the, the robot side of things and the, the hardware pieces of it. Ironically, robotics is what we had. He was not interested at all in robotics. He just wanted the straight code. Now, I think that's fairly unusual. He also doesn't play games, video games, which I think is a little unusual. Um, but he just wanted to learn straight code. So we started teaching himself, actually. And the reality of it is kids with a true interest in this will be self-taught. And there's so many resources online now. Um, he used a source called W3Schools, which is quite common. Um, but there are now more and more ways for even younger students to get on and start learning, whether it's through Scratch or Code.org or the many free resources that exist out there for kids to get started. Yeah, Code Academy, Khan Academy, there's uh, lots of places out there to go start learning all of these, these fundamentals online now. And there's some really interesting ones that surround um, gaming. One of our favorites is Code Kingdoms. Code Kingdoms uses, I think it's Java. Um, maybe JavaScript, <laughs> I have to go back and look at it. And it integrates with a, with a child's Minecraft account so they can build mods, but it has a little scroller bar at the bottom, so it starts with a drag and drop interface, but you can scroll the little bar and actually look and play with the raw code. 
And I think that's really important because we do want to move kids away from the visual programming. That's a great start to learn computational thinking and logic, but we want to move them away from that into actual code. Yeah. So you're listening to 1200 WOAI. This is Cyber Talk Radio, and I'm joined this week by Debbie Fitzenmeyer. We're talking about a program she started called Youth Code Jam. And uh, you may wonder why on a cybersecurity program or we're going into coding for kids. But um, if you've listened to previous broadcasts or if you uh, want to pull up some of those on the podcast service via iTunes or Pocket Cast, you can listen. And one of the topics we hit frequently here is the talent shortage uh, across the cybersecurity. And the, the way that we solve that is not by... Um, teaching 30-year-olds how to program. It's about teaching 7-year-olds how to program uh, so that they can start there, work their way up and and through, and then uh, over the next 50 years, they're going to be out there uh, in the workforce. And some of those may uh, go down the pure software development route. Some of them may get interested in how do I keep all this code safe and secure, and that's uh, where we we go to build the cybersecurity workforce. So uh, this is a, an important topic um, for us as a, a cybersecurity industry and as a cybersecurity professionals to uh, help get more uh, kids out there interested in technology, specifically software development, system administration, network administration. Any one of those is a, a good place to start. Um, and then as they um, expand on what they find out they like, as uh, Debbie's son did, uh, maybe they end up in electrical engineering and working in the, the some of the hardware side of things more so than the software. But um, you've got to start somewhere in order to be able to find out which aspects you, you do enjoy. So um, you, you said that originally you started back uh, with one big event in September. Um, and now my understanding this year, we've got uh, some summer camps um, coming up uh, that parents could be looking at and enrolling their kids for now. Absolutely. We started summer camps last summer. We did about 16 weeks of camp in six weeks. Um, and uh, it was really so much fun. We did programming camps. This year we're doing some hardware integration camps. So, um, for example, we'll be opening registration. Uh, registration will already be open uh, for our camps, some of our camps at UTSA for the younger students um, that integrates little Finch robots with code. So they'll be controlling the robots with code. Um, and it's a real simple visual interface, but it provides uh, really young students an opportunity to see, oh, look, I can actually control this. I can make it do things if I just use the code yeah. properly. And so you said out at, at the UTSA campus over off of 1604 by La Cantera? That's one of our campuses this summer. We'll have other ones, and those will be rolled out. Uh, probably registration for those will open at spring break. Okay. And in, where can they go look up those camps? Yeah, absolutely. So folks can go to our website, with it, which is youthcodejam.org. And uh, we have a section called Attend. And under there, you'll see all of our camps, all of our events. I do encourage people to sign up for the email list. Because if you want to come in September, which is a free event, and it's so much fun. <laughs> it's so much fun. Um, that free event uh, fills up after we open registration. It goes out to my email list first. It usually fills up in about eight hours. So um, we encourage people to get on that list so that we can that they have an opportunity to come to those events. We also have a smaller event, a low sensory event in May for teens with high-functioning autism and Asperger's, which is just like our September event. But low sensory, fewer stations, fewer people, fewer, a uh, little bit less noise, um, much calmer environment. One yeah. of our favorite events of the year. 
Sounds like we uh, may need to uh, take over the Henry B. Gonzalez Convention Center for this September event here soon. <laughs> we may. It's doubled in size every year. It's really just uh, an amazing experience, really fueled by volunteers. One of the unique things about our organization is that we are 99.999999% volunteer run, organized, and implemented. Um, and it takes about 150 volunteers to make that September event happen. So I would say to your listeners, if any of them are interested in volunteering, you can also go on the website and sign up to volunteer because we can certainly use that level of expertise, whether it's at a cyber um, security learning station or at any one of our other programming stations where they can just mentor, coach, coach the students and their parents. So uh, listeners, if you'd like to help make San Antonio a better place, and help our kids uh, continue down the technology paths or uh, show up for the first time and learn about what the options are out there for them, uh, you can go to www.youthcodejam.org and uh, look at the links there for volunteering uh, for the September event or as well as the, an event coming up in May this year. So a couple opportunities to get out there and uh, help the kids in this San Antonio area. I think it's really important, this concept of starting young, because... If we want a pipeline, and more importantly, if we want a diverse pipeline, um, we can't be disenfranchising any student early on. Um, and somehow we're losing particularly girls and students of color right around middle school. So we really want to um, have an opportunity to introduce them early, keep them engaged over the course of their middle school years and into high school so that we're not losing them in the pipeline because they're getting messages that, you know, they're not reflected in the industry or whatever erroneous messages they're getting. Um, you know, you often hear girls think they're not good at math or actually girls outperform boys in science and math in early middle school. Yeah, up until the, the stereotypes take over. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, you uh, mentioned the, the kids of color and it was going through your background before the, the program. Uh, so you uh, have some history as an ESL instructor. I do. So as you're uh, out there and we've got listeners of uh, that may have kids that are um, Spanish as their first language, uh, Youth Code Jam, something good for them to come and attend? So code, especially visual programming and some of the other simpler languages are language agnostic. Um, we do have volunteers who speak Spanish. So I think that um, students, Spanish-speaking students, who want to continue to learn to code absolutely can do it. Yeah. I don't know. I'm going to be real honest. I don't know a whole lot. Of, I wasn't a Spanish ESL instructor. We were in China. China, mainland China. Oh, you were a, you were a Chinese <laughs> ESL instructor. So there you go. I don't know how really well that applies. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well... So, but it was a fair question. <laughs> it was, yeah, especially in San Antonio. Especially yes, in San Antonio. Antonio, you know, you don't code in Spanish. You code, no. you code in the language that you're writing in. So there is going to be somewhat of a a leap there. Yeah, and yeah, with with all of this uh, now, uh, software programming has actually been um, counted as a foreign language uh, through the Texas uh, legislature and down through the school boards now. Uh, so the Castec High School here is offering Python um, in their first year as they open up as a foreign language class. Uh, so it's good to see that uh, I think that legislator, 
uh, folks and um, industry outside of software are starting to understand that um, it's really talking to a computer is just learning to speak a, a different language. And it's something that um, girls very good in all the foreign language classes. So why can't they be better than the boys in the software programming stuff? It's really the same thing. Many of them actually are better than the boys. <laughs> I've seen some who are really, really amazing. I think it's very exciting to see the movement that's happening um, nationwide, really, in terms of recognizing that learning to code these days is just as important as reading, writing, and arithmetic because it is the language of business these days. And I believe at some point every job is going to include some level of programming. But even, even the ones that don't still can benefit from the concepts of computational thinking and logic that go into learning how to program, learning, learning how to think through systems administrations, learning how to think through networks. Um, those skills just cross all industry, all business, even all schoolwork. Yeah, there was a, an article I read this past week. I don't know if it was in Wired or Ars Technica that uh, an opinion piece that uh, talked about uh, software development is going to be the next, quote, blue-collar job. So if you look out 30 years from now, uh, that software developer is going to be the number one um, job title for people in America. Uh, if you go back to the last 100 years, it was a lot of manufacturing jobs working, doing um, highly technical assembly at the with, with physical goods, and you go back a hundred years before that, it was farm work. So we're moving from the farm to the factory now to the internet uh, and to the software development. It's actually right now the number one source of all new wages in the United States. Programmers, so yeah, the, programming jobs. The wave is the wave is already, already starting started. to ride. Absolutely. And the really great thing about it is is I don't think it's just this concept of programming that is is moving forward so quickly, but also the concept of entrepreneurship and, you know, tech startups. I think that that's also an area that's going to continue to grow and is really going to open up for a lot of, you know, these younger students who will end up going out. And, and what I'm seeing more and more now is people have, they may have a job, but then they also have startups. <laughs> They may be teaching at a university, but then they also have several startups. Um, that, that economy, that ecosystem, uh, provides some real opportunity for kids to take control of their lives and how they want to work and, and what they want to do and how they want to roll that out and really gives um, form to the creativity that they have in terms of solving the problems of our world. That's really exciting for me as a mom and as a teacher. Yeah. So you're listening to 1200 WAI. This is Cyber Talk Radio. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, and I'm joined this week by Debbie Fitzenmeyer, and we're talking about software development for kids and specifically the uh, foundation she started uh, that is called Youth Code Jam. Uh, you can look it up online at youthcodejam.org. Uh, there's uh, some big events here in San Antonio. There's some summer camps uh, coming up. Uh, this summer, uh, so you should be able to hop on their website and take a look at, at registration for those camps. Uh, circling back on, on the, the camp piece again, are these day camps overnight, a, a mix of the two? They're all day camps. Day camps. Yeah, they're all day camps. Some are half days, some are full days, and we don't dance around the code. We actually get the code, the kids 
involved in programming. And our goal is always to have them produce something by the end of the camp, whether it's develop a game or have the robot um, move in a certain way, accomplish a challenge. Um, and we are really focused on um, challenging kids at whatever level they're at. So one of the things that I think is different about our camps and our entire philosophy is we are ability-based as opposed to age-based. So what that means is if you have a middle schooler who is profoundly gifted and already knows how to code in five different languages, they are absolutely welcome at our high school camp. Um, because I feel like some of the barriers that I came up against as a mom had to do with that age versus ability. And I don't want any other parent to have to come up against that. It's really a passion point of mine to make sure that these kids um, are challenged at the level that they're ready to be challenged at. And if it's age-based, then by the time they get to that age, they already probably know that skill. They're ready to do something new. So we have a full spectrum of camps from you know early coding all the way up to, um, uh, we have one camp in conjunction with um, Carol Redfield, who is the graduate program director of computer science at St. Mary's University. And she teaches C programming. And then in the afternoons, we do advanced math. Because a lot of our kids who are really good at coding really enjoy math a lot. <laughs> yeah. So we have an opportunity to flex some of those muscles as well. Yeah. And for, for parents out there where your kids are maybe not so math inclined, I'd say you can still uh, get into software development. as there, There's a few different uh, paths to go down uh, in the software development world. So uh, there's software where you're taking a, a step, a set of process that's maybe done with paper today or and, and you're going through and documenting what are those seven steps and then you're going to get the computer to do those seven steps repeatedly. And that type of programming does not require advanced math skills. It requires being able to communicate to the computer in the language it understands. Then you, you have these uh, programming uh, challenges that are around artificial intelligence or um, algorithmic uh, efficiency problem solving. And those are the ones where you're going to take math and combine that math with the ability to then speak to the computer to solve problems that would take a person with a piece of paper to do math. It might be seven steps, but it would take it hours and hours, and the computer can solve it in a few moments uh, by speaking to it in its language. So uh, being really strong at math is not a requirement for learning to develop software. It just will uh, take you down a different path in the software development world. And this is uh, one that uh, I have uh, a lot of conversations with folks because uh, about this is how do I, I get in from day one? Um, I Could I go to something like CodeUp if I'm an adult and learn to, to program software? Like I, I only took one semester of calculus in college and that's as far as I ever went. Yeah, you don't have to be a college math major. Um, you do need to have some basic algebraic understanding, uh, and but you really need to get that uh, just in life overall. Uh, so if you can get through basic algebra, that's all the math you really need to be able to be a successful software developer. Now, your seven-year-old is not going to be through algebra, and they can do things in software development already. So they may be excited about learning algebra at seven for some of those kids, but they're not going to be all the way through it at that point. I don't know if you looked at Wolfram Alpha, but they're actually looking. They, they don't believe anybody should be doing math anymore. <laughs> they think it should all be computational anyway. Um, but it still requires a level of thinking 
um, and being able to break that problem down into its steps. And um, we want to be able to serve all of those kids, right? We want to be able to work with those kids who are um, just getting interested. Maybe they feel like they're not necessarily good at math and there's lots of entry points, easy entry points, um, entry points where they can move into jobs if they continue down that track without what you were saying, without those deep math skills. But we also want to work with those kids who are um, really gifted and moving in a direction and need to have kind of those mental uh, chomps um, challenged more. Yeah. So uh, for th- those that came on at the start uh, of the program and have listened through, they heard it. you started this uh, to open up some opportunities for your son, and now um, we've, you've reached uh, a couple of thousand kids uh, with this program. Uh, so with your son specifically and uh, some of his background, how did you see this program impact um, his development through to where uh, I hear he's off at a pretty good university up in the Northeast now? <laughs> he is at a very good university. We're very proud of him. Um, you know, when he first started wanting to learn to code and he was going on and trying to figure it out himself, um, and he really just had a desire, I think, to create Um, eventually it became a tool for him uh, to complete projects that he was interested in. In other words, it wasn't coding for coding's sake. It was programming for an end, as a means to an end. So he folds origami, modular wireframe origami. And to do that, he was having to calculate angles and all kinds of, you know, how the frames interwove together and so on and so forth. And he he started using programming to write programs to help him do that math, (laughs) right? Um, That computational math piece. And so really for him, when I started Youth Code Jam, he was already learning to code. And for him, it provided a leadership opportunity. Um, He knew most of the things that we were already teaching. I did promise him the first year we had it that I would hold a, a Java station, which he didn't know at the time. But by the time I held the Java station, he had already taught himself Java. So he was actually one of our mentors. About a third of our volunteers are actually students, either college students or high school students. And I even have one volunteer who's 10, who is just a really good programmer and has been to every Youth Code Gym since our first year. So this year, he, last year in 2016, he was like, oh, I want a mentor. I don't want to be a participant. I actually want to teach kids. And so he worked at one of our stations. I was so proud of him. Yeah. And so um, for, for my son, it really provided him an opportunity to take this skill set and show some leadership in it by serving as a coach to other students. And actually, last summer, he was a summer camp counselor for us. Turns out he's really good at teaching. But he continues to use these skills uh even though he's he's pursuing electrical engineering and physics, he still uses these computational skills, the computer coding skills, as he works on his homework and works on his labs and does things um, up in college. We're getting ready to head into the bottom of the hour break here with the news, traffic, and weather. Um, if you just uh, turn the radio dial and joined us now, uh, if you fast-forwarded through the first 20 minutes of the podcast, if you're listening on iTunes, uh, we uh, covered um, the background on Youth Code Jam, talked a little bit about uh, teaching kids from 7 to 17, uh, software development, Um, and as we go into uh, the second half of the hour after the break, we're going to 
dive into their big event in September. Um, she's talked about 12 different stations I think they have there, and I'd like to learn more about what happens at each of those different stations. Uh, there's a rumor that at least one of them is cybersecurity related. So uh, we'll dig into that a little bit more and uh, learn just some more in-depth about uh, Youth Code Jam. Uh, after the break if you uh, wanted to uh, hear this whole episode if you're out there in your car now or uh, turn the radio on at the home while you're doing some uh, things here on a saturday night uh, you can go to our website www.cybertalkradio.com next tuesday and you'll be able to see the uh, rebroadcast up there on youtube on the website or if you uh, happen to use itunes it'll be available on the itunes podcast service or for android users uh, on pocket casts Welcome back to Cyber Talk Radio. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, a 20-year internet security veteran. I'm joined this week by Debbie Fitzmeyer, uh, the founder of Youth Code Jam. That's a program that's been around for six years now, Debbie? Going on your sixth year. Going on your sixth year. So the uh, big event that kicked this whole thing off was a, a youth coding day in September. So... Tell us a little bit more uh, about that. And then uh, before the uh, bottom of the hour break there, I, I teased everyone that we're going to dive into all these different stations at the at the day. But for those of you that just joined us after the news traffic weather, uh, we're going to talk about an event that your kids can attend for free um, in September coming up this year. Uh, you'll need to join uh, Debbie's mailing list on youthcojam.org because uh, this event uh, sells out at the price of free in about eight hours. <laughs> Sells out of the. I've never quite figured out how to say that properly. <laughs> all the all the seats are gone. Yeah, it's um. So we started when we started five years ago. We were at a little library at um, Roosevelt High School, and we had three stations: Game Star Mechanic because gaming. We had HTML CSS because it was easy, and a Java station because that's what the AP exam is on. It was so much fun. We had about 10 kids and their parents show up. And then we moved to Geekdom and it doubled in size. And then we moved to Rackspace and it doubled in size. And now we are at ESC Region 20, right off of 35. And we have a nice big space. We have the entire first floor now to fill out with um, our stations. It's a really casual learning environment. It's a plug and play. So we have... um, Last year, we had 12 different stations, and students bring their own computers, bring their own device, although we have, through the generosity of um, some organizations uh, like Google Fiber that has purchased, helped us, and the city of San Antonio, actually, city council, helped us purchase some laptops. So we have a few that are for borrow, um, but most kids bring their own. Some kids bring two. (laughs) Some kids bring all kinds of devices with them. (laughs) (laughs) and they can walk up to a station, spend some time. If they like it there, they can stay. If they want to move, they can move, Um, and it's just a whole lot of fun for the kids because they get to engage wherever they feel most comfortable, wherever they feel the safest to play and 
um, uh, make mistakes and learn and have fun. And so um, you wanted to know what the stations are last year. Yeah, we'll we'll go ahead and, and dive through those. For the, the folks wondering where she said over there off at 35, it's just east of the Pearl, just east of downtown. It's a, a great facility. They do uh, the CompTIA testing and a, a lot of the Cisco certification testing center there. So if you're uh, an adult looking to take some of those tests, this is uh, one of the better um, available locations uh, here in town to go do that. Um, and it's uh, just a, a good spot, easy accessibility for everyone, and uh, good parking, all of those things that you would want to be able to take your kids to an event for a day. Right. And the parents do stay. That's really important for me, to have the parents engaged elbow to elbow with their kids in front of the screen. Um, it's important for the parents. And, and, and we find that parents walk away with a whole lot as well. They may not have learned how to code, although some did we've had we've had parents report back to us that they learned a lot um, most of them come back and tell us that they now know the steps their kids need to take they know how they know the connection between playing on the computer all day long and a job um, and that they know how to point their kid in the right direction so um, and how to get their kid continued um, continually engaged with this yeah. uh, programming so our stations are all volunteer run and so they vary from year to year. So we have um, some corporate teams, we have some individuals, and we sit down early in the year and we say, hey, what do you want to teach this year? And that keeps it fresh from year to year for the kids to come back and forth. Um, <clears throat> so last year we had uh, ESC Region 20 ran a code.org station, which was for our earliest of coders. We had Delta Risk run a cybersecurity station for us. There's that cybersecurity piece. We had um, actually one of our individual volunteers, he's an engineer at Southwest Research Institute, and he ran a, um, an Arduino station, which was really fun because, again, it's that integration of hardware and software, so it's really fun to be able to code and see things light up. And um, so that was a real popular station. Um, we had another individual who ran an artificial intelligence station there, and I think he's coming back again this year to do that. He's made some tweaks to it. HEB ran a station where kids could create a mobile app related to managing a grocery store, which was really cool for the kids because it's a real world application. Yeah, when they all want to learn how to put apps in their phones so they can write their own games for their phones because that phone's the computer that the parents don't take away. They might take away the laptop so they can stop gaming and pay attention to homework, but usually the parents let the kids keep the phone still. Well, here's the thing. What we want parents to understand is that being on a computer in and of itself is not a bad thing. Gaming is not in and of itself a bad thing. But what we want to do is we want to use that as an entry point to actually creating something. In other words, moving from computing to creative computing, where kids are um, designing things and making things and writing their own apps. So as long as that progression is being made, this is a great tool. A computer is a great tool. Yeah. And... And just like your kids can go play outside with their friends and they could be wasting time not doing anything productive or they could be outside um, playing a, a team sport with friends, uh, learning to compete, learning to work as a team and all of those things. You can do the same thing on the computer. You can um, watch waste of time videos on YouTube or you could listen to CyberTalk Radio episodes on YouTube and learn something. Uh, you could be playing a game that is uh, where you're not challenging your skills, you're not learning anything, or you could be playing an online team sport where you're learning to work together and coordinate with others to 
um, successfully uh, defeat the other team. Absolutely. So <clears throat> that's one of the reasons why we like the parents to say. We want them to be able to see that progression. Um, so other stations, uh, Labatt Food Services ran a JavaScript station. That was really fun. Um, we, have a, we had a uh, Rackspace, usually, from year to year, has run a Python station. Their team out there has come out and supported us in so many ways. Um, we're so appreciative, appreciative to Rackspace and their team and the help that they've given us. Um, Austin Coding Academy did a website design station because a lot of kids want to know how to design their own websites. And um, there's some really cool tools that you can use to uh, learn HTML and CSS. One I really like is called X-Ray Goggles by Mozilla, and you actually um, just add it to your bar on your browser, and you can click on it, and essentially it shows the source code, and you can play with the source code and then publish it and see what you've just done to a website. Really a fun way to get engaged yeah. and to learn a whole lot in a very simple way. Yeah, there's the, the Chrome developer tools um, in Chrome. They're Google's browser now as well. If you right-click on a web page and click inspect, you can pull up and you'll see all this code stuff over on the right-hand side that at first doesn't make any sense. But after you learn a little bit about that HTML and, and CSS, you can change what the web page looks like in real time. You can go change the numbers and then what it looks like in displayed in the browser, it actually updates. And that, that real-time feedback is super important for especially the, the younger kids um, to be able to see the change they make and how that um, actually produces a, a result for them. Absolutely. And I would recognize going to this source code for upper middle school, high school level. For a younger kid, it's much more accessible through x-ray goggles because it only illuminates a very small piece oh, of the source code. So it's, it's a little less intimidating than looking through. Because I think sometimes you look at the source code and your eyes just start to glaze over because there's a lot of code. Yeah. Some of it better than others. It can be really fun, actually to look at source code from different websites and see what it looks like. Um, there are some, some companies in their source code put fun little tidbits up at the top, um, and others in their source code make it's really sloppy code because it was thrown together really quickly. Yeah. And you can see those things just by yeah. looking at source code. Really fun for kids. Yeah, just as, as um, for those joining, we before the break, we talked a little bit about how the source code and programming is just the writing in a language that the computer understands. So... Um, when uh, Debbie says it's intimidating, it'd be like opening up a book written in Spanish, Chinese, Japanese, in a language you don't know, and you look at the page, and it's all a bunch of, like, doesn't make any sense to me. So that's the same feeling uh, you could have looking at source code here until you start to learn to speak the language. Um, and just as you can have a, a poorly written uh, paper in English or in any other language, you can have poorly written um, code in Python or HTML or any of the rest of these. Uh, the, the level of skill will vary um, by author and um, the level of uh, energy and time they put into it as well. We've all scribbled down notes and looked at our own note later going, I can't even read my own handwriting on that one. Or we've sat down and uh, written a, a paper and typed it out very nicely and used proper English and grammar and punctuation and everything. And, and so same thing happens in the software development world. Uh, you'll have things that are thrown together very quickly or you'll have a very well done, well written um, software that's gone through multiple drafts. And those are all good learning opportunities for kids to see, right? We learn from things that are messy as much as we learn from things that are very well done. 
So let's see. What stations haven't we covered? We talked about, we were talking about website design. So um, Carol Redfield, I mentioned her before. It's from St. Mary's University. Uh, usually does, or has in the past few years, done a station on C programming for some of our higher level kids. And the really cool thing about it is our stations are designed in a way that the challenges start very simple for somebody who doesn't know any code. You don't have to know uh, any, in fact, 50% of the kids who come to our event don't know anything about code. And probably... 90% of our parents also don't know anything about code. And so you can come, you can look at a station, walk through the steps, and immediately create something. But we also have some kids who have been programming for years, and so we have much harder challenges for them. And we have so many volunteers. Like, that's that's really key to the event itself. So when I say 150 volunteers, we really do, because my goal is always to have only three people to every one volunteer, so that it can almost be one-on-one -on -one coaching right there. We've had kids, I remember a couple of years ago, I had a, a student walk in, he was building a website, and he sat down one-on-one -on -one with actually one of my high school volunteers, who is really good at website design, and they finished his website. He had just gotten to a place in building his own website that he hit a wall and couldn't go further and needed that interaction. And so they just spent the entire afternoon working through that. I had another student who came to our low sensory event who was working on some C code and C programming code. And, and he sat down with one of our volunteers and they worked through that code. I think, I think that's really one of the beauties of what we do. It's not this kind of top down, I'm going to teach you and then you're going to do it. And um, we really focus on differentiation based on ability. And, you know, when you talk about language and learning and, and, opening a book and feeling like you're looking right at, you know, Japanese, um, at some level, we've put our teachers in that same position and said, you have to teach computer science when they may or may not really know a whole lot about code. I'm super excited that um, Youth Code Jam was just awarded a, a large grant, actually, to take a cohort of 15 teachers from across San Antonio and bring them up to speed so that they can get their computer science certification. Um, I'd love to see a city where every middle school and every high school has at least one CS certified teacher. And I think that's really going to help us move the needle. Yeah. So uh, just to give some context for folks today. So there's um, a, an AP class, uh, computer science, uh, that's available in some high schools across San Antonio. But what type of coverage do we have today? I don't know those numbers exactly, but I can tell you it's not much. I've talked to plenty of high schools. I've never done an actual count, but I've talked to plenty of kids who have never had access to Java classes or AP classes. Um, some schools, most of the schools do robotics, and so the kids are being introduced to it. But if the school doesn't have a teacher who's qualified to teach AP, then they're not going to be able to offer AP computer science, which is Java. Yeah, and then this is, is one that's uh, a big uh initiative for Congressman Hurd, who uh, hits uh, Texas District 23, which touches here into San Antonio and goes all the way out to El Paso. There's a, a 40 teachers um, in middle schools all across um, his district that are going to be attending to start to be able to teach computer programming to middle school students uh, as, as well. Like if you put the high school program in, in place and you've got an AP computer science class, if they're not learning before that, just like you can't take AP physics or AP calculus without the, the math or the basic physics and things um, before that. You also can't just dive straight into an AP computer programming class and um, have successful kids without it starting down in middle school. Or even as we talk about foreign languages, kids start taking Spanish or French or German or Latin or whichever 
foreign language they choose down in middle school um, across the state of Texas. And in order to get to be able to take that AP exam in one of those languages, um, you've generally had four or five years of foreign language before that AP year. The challenge is also getting kids to even want to take the AP class, right? If we're not engaging them in middle school, because it's not a requirement, if we're not engaging them in middle school, they might choose an easier route or a different route. We've got to capture them in middle school if we are going to um, even have them wanting to take the AP computer science class. Although I do feel more and more as the messaging gets out to parents especially and kids, that these are the jobs of the future, I think there will be a lifting up of students who are saying, okay, yeah, I better learn this skill if I want to be, you know, if I want to have a job, I want to go to college, I want to be successful, I want to, you know, contribute to society um, in a meaningful way. Not that that's the only way, but it's certainly a pathway to not only a job, but typically pretty well-paid jobs and high-demand jobs. And I don't know about you, but my goal for my kids is to get them out of my house on their own. <laughs> yeah. No, I, <laughs> right? I, I read an article yesterday morning is that it was uh, about uh, kids living in uh, the top urban metros now and how are they affording the rent, this millennial generation. And uh, it turns out that almost half of them are getting their rent subsidized by their parents still even in their mid-20s and um, on into their early 30s. Yes. Yeah, so my goal is that that not happened to me. <laughs> yeah. That my kids, both of my kids have really um, – Go go and learn skills that can be applied in a workplace in a job that actually exists. Yeah, and something that they're excited about. And I, this is one where uh, software development has many broad uses. As you talked about some of these stations at the Youth Code Jam last year, you mentioned Labatt Foods. You mentioned HEB. You mentioned, uh, I don't know if you mentioned USAA yet. If they sponsored one, I think they probably do almost every year, I would guess, as well. <laughs> Um, you've got Rackspace. So you've got a technology company, um, you had a Delta Risk as a cybersecurity company, but then you have Labatt Foods, which is not a technology company, but they're teaching folks software development because so kids can be interested in all sorts of in- industries and all of those industries are going to have software development jobs um, over the next 50 years. So uh, regardless of your interest, software is going to be a tool that you can use in something that you're passionate about. Absolutely. Or you can start your own company as well. Yes, surprisingly, Labatt has an IT department of about 40 people. They do everything in-house. And I think a lot of that is is for a lot of the larger companies, it is all done in-house. HEB has a huge IT department. USAA has huge IT departments. So yes, all of these companies, and they're not typically viewed as technology companies, but they are at the end of the day. And so there there are these jobs that are available for these kids. So absolutely a skill you can't lose with. We also had a Java station. And every year I try to have a Java station, again, because of the tie to AP computer science. Because as you may or may not know, if your child takes an AP class and passes that test, um, I think they have to get a score of three or above in the state of Texas, but even outside of the state of Texas. That's college credit for them. So those AP exams are really helpful in terms of, you know, a four-year college actually being a four-year instead of a five-year yeah. um, college or even a three-and-a-half-year college if you get enough of those AP and dual credit under your belt. So yeah. that's that's important. And there's also, frankly, scholarship money to be had in Java because there are in Texas UIL competitions, of course, and the testing for the UIL competitions is all done in Java. And once you get to the state level, there's 
there's some significant scholarship money available in that, which helps as well for college. And a lot of companies use Java. HEB, I think, is Java-based. So um, Java is is a language that these companies are specifically looking for. Yeah, it's one of the top three languages for sure, and it, it will continue to be one of the top three languages for a, a long time because it has all of the, the core concepts that you need uh, to be able to do very complicated programs, uh, but it also uh, is very compatible across all sorts of different operating systems. Um, and uh, employers know that if you understand Java, you can move from Java into many other languages that the uh, applications for that business may be written in. Uh, so you may not spend all of your time programming in Java, but you you may take that as a foundation. They know that if you understand that, you understand uh, all the things that they need to have you build the applications in other languages for them. And honestly, kids with these skills can absolutely go get summer jobs in them. You know, SA Works has a program for high school students um, connecting them to employers. And these are job skills that the employers are looking for. So, and you know, when if, if they decide they want to go the college route, that's going to require colleges now you have an amount that the parent pays, but then you also have an amount that the student's responsible for. So those summer jobs become really important for them. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I took a, a whole bunch of AP classes back as a kid in the day. They did not offer AP computer science when I was in school. Uh, oh. Yeah, no, not yet. Uh, but with that, I mean, yeah, you can look at saving a year off of college. If you uh, go really through and plan out, like, what can you accomplish in high school? And you can uh, take that whole year off. And so that could be $20,000 if you look at room, board, and tuition. But it's also, you're potentially out there in the workforce a year sooner. So let's say you're going to make $30,000. You've got a, not a great salary for that first year of graduating out of college. That's still $20,000 saved plus $30,000 of income. That taking those AP classes in high school could be worth $50,000 to you. So I think as we go through and explain some of that to the, the kids and to their parents, all of a sudden they start to get much more excited about making the kids uh, take some of the classes that might be a little bit of stretch for them, might be a little bit of, of work, but uh, they can really see that there's a, a big benefit um, in that financially. And I think this is one of the only ways that we make um, college affordable is knocking out um, some of these early classes in high school um, or in going to junior college and, and fixing some of the credit transfer problems that we I see out of junior colleges where you uh, end up spending two years at a junior college and then three more years at a university because they didn't accept half the classes. Uh, those type of things need to get resolved so that we can make getting a four-year degree affordable for more folks across America. I'm 100% with you on that. So... Two more stations left to go on our countdown. Um, so after Java, we have a Scratch station. Um, and of course, Scratch was developed by MIT. And it's a visual programming language. And you can do all kinds of actually really sophisticated things in Scratch. So it's a really great entry level. Maybe not quite as intuitive as code.org, as code um, but still a really great place to start. And we see that um, a lot of schools are using Scratch as well. Many of them are transferred to code.org. But I would suggest, for example, if I were a parent of a kid who had never coded before, um, walking in and starting at the code.org station and then maybe moving to the Scratch station and then maybe, maybe moving to our last station that we haven't talked about yet, which is our Finch robots, um, which are really fun, easily programmable, even accessible to very young children through a program called SNAP, which is 
um, super simple. Even I can do it. <laughs> and you can make these little robots light up. They have sensors on them. They do all kinds of really cool things. And so you have an opportunity again with the merging of the hardware and the software to see um, how when you drag and drop something over, it makes an impact on the way the bot moves. Yeah. So if uh, I'm listening online and I want to start something up like Youth Code Jam in my city, uh, my understanding, Youth Code Jam San Antonio only still right now? We are still only in San Antonio. Yeah. Yes. So if, if I wanted to be the Debbie in my city, could I reach out to you and, and learn from what you've done? Absolutely. Uh, you can find my contact information on the website, youthcodejam.org. And I am happy to share materials on how to get this started. It takes just some really passionate volunteers and a lot of hard work and some logistics and some funding. Um, and we've been very fortunate here in San Antonio. The, the corporate and foundation community here, Rackspace and 8020 and Google Fiber and Isometry and all kinds of really amazing organizations here in San Antonio have supported us in our efforts so that we can continue to grow this yeah. and keep it free. Yeah. So you're listening to Cyber Talk Radio. If you uh, just joined in now here, uh, we've been talking about Youth Code Jam. There's summer camps coming up. Uh, you can go to youthcodejam.org to learn about those. Uh, sign up for the mailing list and uh, get uh, information on the free uh, big yearly event in September. Uh, thank you very much uh, for joining us this week, Debbie. It was a pleasure to have you here. Uh, for those that want to catch up on uh, other episodes of CyberTalk Radio, you can go to our website at www.cybertalkradio.org uh, or we're available on iTunes and Pocket Cast Podcasting Service.